Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Happy Tuesday before Thanksgiving, folks. Another day of heavy traffic out there. I know that people are making all kinds of plans, running errands. I hope that you are happy, healthy, and safe wherever you are right now. Uh, coming up in just a little bit, we're going to have in studio with us State Representative Stephanie Kifowitz going to join us. Uh, there's some important issues I want to talk to her about, and I haven't seen her in a long time. So uh, yeah, inviting her in studio is, just, is both a way to talk about what's going on in Springfield and hang out with a friend of mine. And we've got some great conversations coming out up throughout the show. Uh, coming up a little bit later, we're going to talk about Fair Vote. We're going to have another guest in studio to talk. Uh, this is something we really need to be uh, working on and pushing to uh, really expand throughout the country is the option to have a fair vote in your state. So Rebecca Williams will be joining us to talk about ranked choice voting in Midwest states in Illinois. And we'll also be talking in a little bit to Sean Sebastian, who's a director of organizing for rural organizing uh, and uh, we have to this is you know Jess Piper who we've had on the show uh, every month for uh, about a year now who talks about uh, how we need to start focusing on rural areas and make sure that we are, are putting our resources our time our money into making sure look it, we know that we're not going to win a lot of those races but we lose every single time we don't have someone running and amplifying the uh, the important issues that affect every single person. Um, you know, uh, you know when you go on on Twitter and you see what's trending. Uh, today's trending uh, is a little bit better than yesterday's and Saturday's. I know over the weekend I saw golden showers trending. And I apologize for those of you who don't know what a golden shower is, and now you have to Google that. And uh, and then you're like, oh, my God, Patty, why did you put that in my head? Uh, I did not. That was, uh, if you recall, during the Trump administration and actually in the election year leading up to his uh, – <sighs> His victor- victorious campaign, um, there were rumors that there might be video of Donald Trump um, hanging out with professional uh, sex workers who he enjoyed having them relieve themselves. I, this is no, there's no good way to talk about this. Anyway, in his rally speech, over the, Andy's like, what? I'm using more words to make it more uncomfortable, Andy, aren't I? If I just said, uh, you know, people who have a, their kink is being peed on, I guess is the quickest way to talk. I don't know. I'm, it's no, None of it's good. Uh, but he talked about it in a rally this weekend. And here we are for how many years now we've had people running for school board saying they don't want their children reading a book because it mentions some act some sexual act or some element of racism what am, what what am i doing oh is it in there yeah. <laughs> here i'm sorry i didn't even know it was already on the board thank you andy andy's like patty probably needs this here you go i'm not i'm not making this up folks it happened he was with four hookers. You think that was good that night to go up and tell my wife, it's not true, darling. I love you very much. It's not true. Actually, that one she didn't believe because she said he's a germaphobe. He's not into that, you know. He's not into golden showers, as they say they call them. I don't like that idea. 
No, I didn't. I thought that would be a big problem. I was going to have a rough night, but that one she was very good on. She said, no. I went to my my wife and said that didn't happen. Uh, Yeah, because I'm sure that his word is uh, worth something ever to any person he's had a relationship. I mean, come on, you guys. Um, But so there, there you go. So even if we were to say, well, he's trying to he's trying to defend himself. Was he, though? He's making a joke about it, uh, saying he's a germaphobe, which I I, maybe uh, I I guess. you know, he doesn't mind grabbing. Does he wear like rubber gloves when he grabs women by the vagina? I don't know. I'm just what's <laughs> just say what? Um, but there are people who are full in uh, for Trump. Uh, you know, whether it's Moms for Liberty or these radical Christian fascist groups that don't want other kids to read books because they might mention actually probably something like a golden shower. I'm just saying. And they want those books banned. And we talked briefly about this yesterday, the idea of parents' rights. Parents' rights, parental rights, meaning that they they want to ban books. And there are these very small group of people, whether it's in Florida or in Texas, North Carolina, it's, like, it's less than a dozen people who have had hundreds of books banned because they flag them. And because of the laws in those areas, like there's one woman in Florida who will go to the police station and say that this book has homosexuality in it, and it would be the same thing as, as giving a child pornography. So by that logic, that conversation that he had at that rally is pornographic. Convince me otherwise that by that logic, by the logic that a book that mentions a, a, per, a young person being attracted to the same sex is pornographic. And what Trump said over the weekend is any different in the, by that standard that parents can go to the police station and file charges against a library for carrying a book that mentions a golden shower or a hookers or being attracted to someone of the same sex. Convince me otherwise that 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 pans out, that that works, that that's okay. And I do love the people that have challenged. In Utah, there was somebody who, and and there, again, there there are some really um, great satirists, satirists online who will go to board uh, board meetings, town hall meetings, school board meetings, and read passages about lying, you know, with my sister lied with my husband and, and his and until his seed poured on her. And he's like, this is pornographic. It's the Bible. <laughs> but parental rights is essentially saying that your child is your property, that other people's children are your property, and you can determine what they have access to and don't have access to. And it is absolutely insane. And I started playing this clip yesterday. I don't know if I still have it up. Uh, but I was playing a clip yesterday from one of my favorite movies. And maybe we'll take a break and I'll just run that clip because it's uh, absolutely one of my favorite scenes of all time from the film Feel the Dreams. And uh, I just, I mean, it is Amy Madigan. It's every, this, was, this has been happening for decades. And the fact that they had this as part of the movie where they're, the whole town is in this gymnasium and there are parents that are up in arms about the content of a book. Oh, here. Let's see. Jim, what's on your mind? Oh, boy. I, I opened up a, a whole can of urine, didn't I? Hey, uh, hey Jim, how you doing? Yeah, 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 first of all, this language is from, I don't know where it's from, but imagine the Democratic uh, presidential candidate, even bringing this up in some kind of a 
insane rally. Where it's not here, but the people are cheering it on, like it's uh, they're familiar with it. Right. Yeah. It's just uh, we're living. We're in a. We're in a, What do you call this? I mean, a presidential candidate, a Democratic presidential candidate, mentioned he prostitutes and he wouldn't do it because of this or the other way. Nobody would. Nobody in their right mind would bring that up. No. Uh, right. and so it's, yeah. we were Nobody in their right mind would bring it up. Well, why bring it up? It hasn't even been a topic of discussion for years, right? And all of a sudden, right. you've got right. it trending on social media again, and you've got me talking about it in very clunky, clumsy terms. But here we are. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, but, but I, I just, it's so uh, ridiculous that I, I can't even imagine somebody, a grown man, 77 years old, Talking that way in front of a crowd, and the crowd is absorbing it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> wow! I mean, if I was in a crowd, a seventy-seven-year-old man, you know, I mean, where's the exit? You know, how do I get out of here? <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be running for the exits. Yeah. Anyway, Perry. Yeah, take care. Thanks, Jim. All right, have a good one. We're going to take a break here, and we'll welcome Representative Stephanie Kifwit when we come back on WCPT 820, Heartland Signal. Fascist. I like these hurt pain. Mrs. Kessenick, that book you're waving about is hardly smart. It is considered by many critics to be the classic novel about the 1960s. It's pornography! No, 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 no. The Supreme Court says it's not. And its author, Mr. Mann... Terence Mann is a Pulitzer Prize winner, and he is widely regarded as the finest satirist of his time. Yeah, well, I think he's a pervert. He's probably a communist, too. What planet are these people from? Mr. Harris, the so-called novels of Terence Mann endorse promiscuity, godlessness, the mongrelization of the races, and disrespect to high-ranking officers of the United States Army. And that is why right-thinking school boards all across the country have been banning this man's S-H-I-T since 1969. You, you, you know why he stopped writing books? Because he masturbates. Excuse me, madam. Excuse me. Terence Mann was a warm and gentle voice of reason during a time of great madness. He coined the phrase, make love, not war. While other people were chanting, burn, baby, burn, he was talking about love and peace and understanding. I cherished every one of his books, and I dearly wish he had written some more. And I think if you had experienced even a little bit of the 60s, you might feel the same way, too. I experienced the 60s. No, I think you had two 50s and moved right on into the 70s. Annie, look at this. Oh, yeah? Well, your husband plowed under his corn and built a baseball field. Now, there's an intelligent response. The weirdo. (laughs) Sorry, I could probably do the whole scene, but my favorite part's uh, coming up where she... uh, (laughs) He is not a book burner, you Nazi cow. There it is!
At least I'm not married to the biggest horse's ass in three counties. Oh, boy. All right, Beulah, do you want to step outside? So this is pretty much, just Fine. for the record, I, for the record, I am, uh, I am Amy Madigan in pretty much any situation. I think Representative Stephanie Kifowit would agree that uh, people often feel like, ah, let's say, let's make sure, let's get Patty out of the room. Let's, <laughs> hey, Rep, how you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I, uh, I, we've been talking a little bit about um, a variety of things, but I, I think I find it fascinating that Donald Trump was talking about uh, hookers and golden showers over the weekend. The ex- <laughs> it was trending. It's not my fault, Rep. It's not my fault. This is this is who people want to elect as uh, reelect as the leader of the most powerful country in the world. And uh, and this was trending. And yet there are moms out there who say they're for liberty who want to ban books that say less grotesque. Th- and I mean, it's just, it's just like I didn't, I never even heard of two girls in a, in a I can't say that either. I shouldn't. <laughs> like maybe I, I grew very naive. I, I like. I don't even know when the term "golden showers" sounded like something that I understood at all. I think I was in my mid to late twenties when I ever heard that. Anyway, how have you been? Welcome, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Hattie. Thanks I, for having me. <laughs> you can't make this sound like like NPR all of a sudden. It's not my fault. He lowered the bar on standards, didn't he? Well, we don't have to go there and stay there. <laughs> okay, we won't stay it there. It might be fun, but I, we can't I, go there. We can't go there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how have you been, my friend? Good, good. How have you been? I've been good. Welcome to the neighborhood. Thank you. Yes, this is my hood over here. It's beautiful. <laughs> It's cold. It's wet. The leaves are sticking to everything. Uh, how, I know you were at a conference last weekend. What? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's an organization called Elected Officials for Protecting America (EOPA), and the crux of it it was started by a Marine Corps veteran, actually, and um, he realized when he was serving overseas in Iraq, Afghanistan, that the global warming had taken all the economy out of the system, and that's why average people were like pretty much selling or doing whatever they could do to uh, to be there, to, to go against us. And so it's an organization that is um, working on climate change and making sure that climate change is part of our national security initiative. Well, you know, the argument from people who don't believe that climate change is happening is that, you know, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. You know, there's been uh, temperature changes all t- you know throughout the history of the planet. Fine. We still have to respond to what's fundamentally happening, what is measurably happening, don't we? You mean like science? Yeah. Yeah. And we got to believe in science? Yes. Really? No way. You're What's kidding happening? me. No, it's really? crazy. No, yeah, that's crazy. It's no, this, is, crazy. this group is about science. It's yeah. about science and doing the right thing. And Illinois is the leader of doing the right thing. Yes. So we should all be proud to live in Illinois. I, I, I love so much of what we've done and excited for what, for what we're going to be doing. Uh, to let folks know a little bit about uh, Representative Stephanie Kifowicz. She's a, she has served as a Marine, uh, woke up one day when she was about 17 or 18 years old and was like, what's next? I'm going to go, uh, I'm just going to jump on a train and go down to to Paris Island. Oh, what? no, no, not a train. Come on, get the story right, my friend. <laughs> what the hell? No, um, no. I actually, it was my first airplane ride really? in my life. Yeah. In your life? In my life. My first airplane ride was to boot camp. Yeah. Yeah, never been on a plane before. My, I always did the station wagon vacation. <laughs> did it have the wood panels, though? <laughs> no wood panels, no. Oh. It was green. No, it was yellow. No rear-facing seat in rear the back? Rear-facing seat. That was the weirdest oh, thing to be able best. to make fun of the drivers. The we were so lucky to be alive. And, and we didn't wear seatbelts. You know, we no. just slept. We just put all the seats down and slept and rolled to the left and rolled to the right. Yep. And there was no safety. Yeah. Yeah. So so you only travel by car with family car. vacations. Yeah. Uh, so this is your first plane. So you wake, but really, you were kind of a, you know, a rebel in high school. 
No. A little bit. You were a badass in high school. Come on, a little bit. No, no, no. I was a rule follower. Were you really? I was a good kid in high school. I grew up in Wheaton. <laughs> I guess you don't have a choice in Wheaton. Wheaton. We yeah. Had, I went to church all the time. So so was the Marines kind of a, you know, the structure of it appealed to you? Or the challenge of it? No, just because they were the best. And they're still the best. And I wanted to be the best. So I walked into the, the recruiting station and said, sign me up, Sarge. Yeah. And that was, that was it. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And you were the only woman uh, serving in our General Assembly who is a Marine, uh, as a veteran. Is that correct? Correct on both. On yes. both, yes. Yeah. On, 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 I mean, in either chamber? Only Marine. Only Marine. There was one in the Senate, but he left and tried to run for a higher office and lost. So but so I'm the only Marine and the only woman veteran right now. Which, And I was t- telling a friend of mine, like, some of the issues that you take up that are so important, not just because uh, the, those who have served in the military deserve respect and what they've been promised, but because we're, we're seriously across the country not doing enough. It, it, you know, we, we ever, especially, you know, conservatives will say that they, you know, they'll wave the flag and that they're, you know, pro-military and yet defund the most important services and really not respect those who have served and done a job that most of us can't or won't do. You mean that conservative individual from Alabama that's holding up all our military yeah. promotions and uh, really risking our national security? No, yeah. not, not that kind of conservative? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. no. And, the, and the ones that didn't vote for the PAC Act the first time around and thought it was funny and high-fived themselves when uh, millions of veterans, or not millions, but thousands of veterans have burn pit issues and um, right. really serious issues from their service overseas, and they were high-fiving themselves on the Senate floor. Those, those conservatives? The, yeah, those really? conservatives, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. no, they're not, they're not supportive of the how, But how do they stick out that territory? How are they so able to convince people that they are? <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's truly like pop propaganda. Yeah. It's all, they're just loud. They, they just hope that if they scream louder and if they um, are more boisterous about it and fly the flag more, that people won't understand what they're doing behind the scenes. And, and it works in some situations. Right. It is the use of the language because, you know, you start, we, we start talking about the climate. You know, they, they say that they're for freedoms. You're not free if you don't have clean air and water to breathe and drink. You're not free if you're vulnerable to the way weather takes away, as you mentioned, the economy of people that are it's just the two of us. That's <laughs> um, not freedom, right? It's being tied to the, the vulnerabilities uh, in the environment. Freedom is our constitutional right. Freedom of speech, mm-hmm. you know, means we don't ban books. It's freedom of speech. Hello. Hello. That's the Constitution. Yeah. Hello. Let's read the Constitution for word for word. Right. You know, and freedom of religion means you can, you know, have any religion. You can have no religion. You're free from religion in this country. So right. we're not going to do laws or things like that that commingle religion and our government because that's what our Constitution was founded on. So, right. it, I mean, you, it, it's just like, you know, they want to take snippets and expound these snippets. But, you know, you have freedom of speech and freedom of religion and our freedoms that we need to protect. But then people start using this rhetoric to make individuals believe opposite of what our Constitution protects. And what the public good is. Because, and I know that there was a, the back and forth on the invest in kids, right? And whether or not we should let it sunset. I know. It is, the, the, the problem I have with it is, they're like, oh, well, you know, kid, one is that kids should have choice, right? Parents should have choice where their kids go to school. They do. It's whether or not they want to pay for it. But these millionaires who get ridiculous tax credits, 75% tax credits, and about 70 to 80% of those who were giving money to those schools for those scholarships were 
earning seven figures, right? So, but why, if they're so invested and so interested in, you know, families and kids having choices, why don't they make those investments in healthcare for kids who don't have equal access to healthcare or to jobs or to opportunities in their neighborhoods? Why do they want to invest in schools that control, you know, whether it's religious education or banning books? It's so bizarre. But the funny thing is, they can still invest in those scholarships. Yes! They can still invest in those scholarships. The state's just not giving them 75 cents on the dollar back, but they can right. still invest in it. Exactly. Yeah. It's basically a tax shelter, isn't they it? They can do it. They, they can still give to those schools. Right. The amount of money they want to give. The more money you earn, the more you're able to keep, right? The rest of us just spend every, pretty much every single dollar that we earn. They make passive income. Right. And then they want more. Well, they have very expensive uh, accountants. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We don't have access to that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't have an accountant. I have TurboTax. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you prefer TurboTax over H&R Block? Oh, I've never stepped in H&R Block. So I, I, I tried. I, I One year I, I had uh, TurboTax and I did not like my results. So I, I just had the software. So I went with uh, H&R Block. Because you're I, a millionaire. And it told oh, you, yeah, you didn't want to. Yeah. Oozing it. <laughs> oozing, the, oozing the coins. Can't st- Got my pockets Come are on, full. Come on. You got those pennies. In their pocket. Come on, I hear him jingling. <laughs> how was uh, how was Springfield for, for a veto session? Uh, it was good. You know, missed you, but uh, you yeah, know, be, it might be veto. a minute before I go back. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, yeah. no, I, I mean, uh, you know, it's a veto session, so things that are time specific and um, you know, uh, put up on the board, we vote on, and things, bills like my bill, you know, was not deemed time specific and might be in the spring session. Which so. is that mask? No, the one uh, with the veterans' uh, property taxes exemption. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah the they, Senate, we passed it out of the House, but the Senate deemed it not. <sighs> How are you guys getting along with the Senate? I like the Senate. The All right, Senate's then, great. Yeah, we'll, sit, we'll, we'll take no, a break and see what you say off the, the air. No, no, no. I like the Senate. <laughs> Senate's great. Come on, Patty. I, no, my senators are great. Working with the senators are really great. It's just a timetable that was, it was crunched. I mean, we only had six days to do a whole lot of work, so. Right, because I know they're still working on that school board map for the city of Chicago, which yeah. That whole thing is so bizarre. We can talk off the air about that one. We're going to leave the Chicago I, people to deal with the Chicago school board map. That's what I'm saying. Well, I just <laughs> I find it fascinating. The person that created the whole thing was so excited that he was going to carry that bill in the House and then carry it in the Senate. What? What? Representative? Well, no, Representative? Now, now Senator Martwick is all. How's that working out for you? Let's take a quick break here, and we'll come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. Hang out with Representative Stephanie Kifowit. We'll uh, talk more when we come back. My friend Marty, he wants to split the party. He wants blue folks and red states to vote green. I can see his point, though. I really gotta say, no, we can't have another 2016. It seems nothing beats orange. Nothing even freaking rhymes with it. What's a battered nation supposed to do? His royal orange highness, he does love to divide us. We gotta stick together and vote blue. When I recycle, I'm green, green as green can be. I do my level best, yes, it's true. But when I'm voting in November, I promise to remember it's us against him. Gotta vote blue. We do gotta vote blue, and joining me in, in studio is Representative Stephanie Kifowit. I uh, I'm so glad that you're here today, uh, and we can bring your your guest on with us in a minute if you'd like. You don't. You, <laughs> no, what? I don't know what I have to say. Yeah, I mean, we could talk labor too. I, your microphone had to be all the way over here, though. Oh. You gotta, yeah, unless you want to share with her, but I can give you your own microphone, uh, and you can introduce yourself. And if you want to, we don't have to. Just uh, I, I, I did not know that you'd be in studio with us, um, Representative Kifowit. Let folks know what districts you uh, represent. 
uh, I represent the 84th district, just one district, 84th I mean, district. Neighborhoods, yes. And I, uh, I represent Aurora, Naperville, a bit of Oswego, and a bit of Montgomery. Excellent. And I know that you worked on a resolution to, uh, to, Acknowledge and pay respect to veterans of the Cold War. I have uh, a listener who is uh, really interested in that. Actually, a year ago, sent me articles uh, about the Cold War veterans. I don't think people really think much about uh, those who served during our tensions with uh, with Russia. No, it, it's it's been a, a long journey for the Cold War veterans. In fact, uh, the American Legion just changed their membership parameters to include them. Before they just had certain dates with regards to wars, and there was many, many veterans that served during the Cold War that were excluded from the American Legion. So now they just opened it up to all veterans who's pretty much served from World War II on to encompass them. And and in the Illinois State House, uh, filed a resolution, and um, we'll be voting on it when we get back in January uh, to honor our Cold War veterans. And for people that don't know, the Cold War was the rivalry between the United States and the Soviet Union. Right. So it was a very, very tumultuous time in our history that a lot of people don't understand. Well, that's what's so, again, I go back to like, how, how do Republicans sort of stake out the territory of patriotism and then lean into, well, Russia should be able to invade uh, Ukraine and decimate an entire country because it used to be Russia's. You're like, well, when did you care so much about the sort of uh, ownership of land or the history of land? I mean, like, that would be like saying Mexico deserves Texas, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, California, Colorado, <laughs> just to name a few places. But, but that's ridiculous. Right. But the idea uh, of uh, supporting Russia still blows my mind. No, it's it's just so wrong. In fact, at that conference that we were talking about that was at last week, um, we had a, a a mayor of a town in Ukraine zoom in. It was 2 a.m. his time, and he was talking about how um, Russia is bombing the gas lines and everything, and that solar is saving their hospitals and saving Really? Their, because they can replace a solar panel in a day. They can't replace a gas pipe in a day. And so they're they're building a lot of solar in that uh, town so that they can uh, operate their hospitals and, and uh, operate their, their grid. And, um, and he was profoundly thankful to the United States for holding up for their democracy and, and helping them in their uh, quest to remain a democracy and not be taken over by Russia. That, that's incredible. And, and that's the thing is that there seems to be so much uh, resistance to climate friendly things that can advance our technology are protecting what we need to you know en- enable to function to be able to function or you know to improve air quality water quality which includes solar electrical power right but we also need to keep in mind that it, it also impacts our national security yeah and we are dependent on foreign oil of countries that aren't quite so nice and friendly I had a listener calling yesterday to say uh, that um, they are going to vote for Trump uh, because one of the reasons was that he we were we were energy independent under Trump. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, here, let me. Uh, what, which ones, what website was he looking at? I, you know, well, I mean, was, if it's uh, on the internet, it must be true, well, right? That, so, yeah. and that was a whole long list, uh, which also included Hunter Biden's oh, laptop. Goodness, goodness gracious! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and Tara no. Reid. Oh goodness. yeah, it was yeah. a lot. It was oh, a lot. There's of, a lot to unpack there. It was a lot. <laughs> Who, by the way, I asked him, "Do you know where she lives now?" She moved to Russia. <laughs> yeah, 
Hello. Uh, introduce yourself, my friend. Uh, um, Joseph Reinhardt, business manager, secretary, treasurer of Painters District Council 14. And he has joined us for our labor panels in the past. So thanks uh, for hanging out with us today. Oh, my pleasure. We've been talking a lot of labor, too. Uh, we, folks have been asking me because I wore my SAG-AFTRA strike. Uh, I'm a strike captain for SAG-AFTRA. And folks were like, oh, I, I thought you guys resolved that. Why are you wearing your strike hat? Well, first of all, I like to wear baseball hats. Secondly, just because the board has um, has uh, uh, basically told us that they recommend approving the contract, it's 86%, which is not, you know, it's, it's a big number, but it's not quite there. And there's a lot of questions about that. However, it has been significant this year how many gains there have been in labor. I mean, from UPS to the UAW, Starbucks had a, a big red cup walkout on Thursday. Uh, I was impressed that at O'Hare Airport, there weren't – usually you see a lot of um, people in line at Starbucks, much shorter lines at O'Hare on Thursday when I was there. Um, how, are you, how are the painters feeling? Is it, it's all good stuff. Yeah. Oh, it's real good. It, uh, it's going to help us come uh, in April when we start negotiating. So. Yeah. They better get ready yeah. <laughs> because, because the table's already been set and we know where uh, we want to go. Yeah, because when I when I ran, uh, the painters union, if I recall correctly, was the only labor union that uh, – because we split uh, between the three candidates because uh, one was the incumbent, which is tough. One was a carpenter and a police officer, and I'm SAG-AFTRA, and, uh, and I've been a SAG-AFTRA member for 23 years. And I think before this year, we were kind of considered a soft union, and uh, we had the full support of, uh, of Bob Ryder and the – CFL. Yes. And that was, we had Scabby out there. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and that was, it's impactful. It really is. What are you hearing from, from, uh, from labor this year, Representative Kifowit? Because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, we've gained so much ground since we got rid of Rauner, haven't we? <laughs> well, it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was the worst. Uh, that's an understatement, but okay, we'll go there. The worst, but, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was the, I think he was, yeah, the, the, um, the most horrible governor we've ever had, to be yeah. quite honest. Even the ones that went to jail. He I was mean, worse than those I mean, guys. Who, who cuts funding for autism on World Autism Day? I mean, come on. Thank you yeah, for remembering. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I remember that every day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's how I, that's how so, I brought so Patty to Springfield. Yeah, I know. Well, so the rep, I will tell you this. I went down. Um, okay. So on, on that Good Friday, when Governor Rauner made $26.2 million in cuts to services across the state, including pretty much decimating the autism program in Illinois, TAP, um, I was on a train by two. Tuesday, and everyone was like, all the Democrats were like, "Oh no, that was real, that is really terrible." And uh, Representative Kiffa was a, was the first one was like, "How are we going to pay for it?" <laughs> I mean, and and you know, do you remember the way he ended up re- reinstating the funding was basically shaking the couch and going, "Oh yeah, you know what? We ended up having more revenue from our income, st- you know, the income tax uh, from last month. It was insane." Yeah, it, but it was mostly it was intended to break the unions. That was his entire mm-hmm. thing was the turnaround agenda. Oh yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah, Rauner was not a friend of one person in labor at all. No, at all. Plus, I don't, I don't know if he I had a friend at all yeah. in the state. He moved to Florida, so that well, tells you not far enough. <laughs> he can go to Russia. Well he, well, he and Ken Griffin, you know, did everything they could. Ken Griffin, of course, killed the fair tax, which I think will continue to be a problem in Illinois. Well, I mean, I think that Illinois rebounded, and and when you uh, you look at the budget as a whole, we just got our ninth credit upgrade, Patty. Ninth. Credit hey, you don't have to tell me. I work in a comptroller's office. I baby. know you do. Yeah, <laughs> I know you do. But nine, number nine. I mean, never, never in, in anybody's wildest dream, decades. It's been decades since the state of Illinois has been financially sound. That it has, and as you know, working in the comptroller's office, mm-hmm. our rainy day fund is now over two billion dollars. Yeah. So, uh, rainy day fund now can hold us up for what fifteen days. <laughs> 
It's better than it was when we en- entered the pandemic. Seconds. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, that's what. Yeah. Yeah. It was like seconds. So now, now we have a little bit of cushion there, and we're working really hard, balanced budgets all the time, and um, you know, really, really being. Believe it or not, Democrats are being fiscally responsible in the state of Illinois. Fiscally responsible Democrats. Ronner was a Republican, was not fiscally responsible. So, J.B. Pritzker, working with the General Assembly, we've done a great job turning the, the Illinois around. Yeah, I, I think that that's... Uh, in considering not just coming out of the rounder years, but also a pandemic, I think is significant. And people kept saying, oh, well, when that federal, you know, the, the, the federal funding from the pandemic runs out. And yet we, as you mentioned, we still continue to have uh, credit approval, uh, upgrades. Well, a lot of that has to do with, with having a federal government that, you know, up until recently was functional. We had the um, Inflation Reduction Act. The CHIPS Act. We've had a lot of lot of good policy in the past that the state of Illinois has been able to capture. In fact, the governor's on record as just recently saying we are going to get every single federal dollar we can for the state of Illinois. And that's what we should have a governor doing, working with the federal government and bringing in these federal dollars to the state. There's nothing wrong with that. Other states are going to get it if we don't. So we should grab it, get it, use it. And right. It's showing. Absolutely. Another thing that's showing with the state of Illinois is the uh, 40 $5 billion um, capital investment, capital investments that we're making in our roads and bridges and our infrastructure with our transportation because we are the hub of the Midwest. So the more that we improve those things, right. the more businesses are going to come. And we've been hearing businesses, believe it or not, Patty, are coming into Illinois. They're coming into Illinois. They're opening up in Illinois. And uh, it's really exciting. I, I love when, you know, especially when I started sitting in the, in the press box and you'd hear people saying, you know, people are leaving our state to go go to Florida and they're going to California, like all these other places. And, and you know, they'd say, well, they don't have an income tax in Florida. And, and you were the person that educated me. And I think and I've heard more people talking about this lately, about how we are a donor state. And so many of those states are welfare states, mm-hmm. meaning for every dollar we put into our federal taxes, we get back less than a dollar, whereas states like I. Iowa, North Carolina, Florida, because partly because of their natural disasters or just for their own infrastructure, get back more than a dollar. And that's true in the state of Illinois, too. You know, whether it's because uh, Chicago, for every dollar we put in, we're getting about 73 cents per dollar. And there are parts of the state that get almost two dollars. Yeah, the suburbs are, are a little bit uh it's hammered a little bit more than Chicago. I think Did we're at 57 cents on really? the dollar in the yeah. suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. And there are places because we have to make sure that our ag- agricultural lines are strong because there are communities that don't have as much revenue when it comes to income taxes. And because and there are there are communities that are struggling. There, there are hospital deserts. There are food deserts in the state. And we try to reinforce and support those right. communities. Well, one of the things with the donor state issue, though, is this has been along a long time. And um, I know our congressman, Bill Foster, and, and the delegation of Illinois has been trying to change this formula based. And it just hasn't kept up pace with the times. I mean, I think it goes back to like the 60s. And so you got Indiana uh, that and this is just, a, you know, I'm not going to go wonky on you. But, you know, our Medicaid reimbursement for the state of Illinois is 50 cents on the dollar. But if we were to match Indiana's reimbursement rate, which is 63 cents on the dollar, that's another two billion dollars that could come into our budget. But it doesn't because this formula is so old. It favors the smaller states. Yeah. It really doesn't have anything to do with need or, or anything altruistic. Right. It's just a formula they put into place decades and decades ago. It passes out. It used to pass out of the House all the time, and then the, the, the smaller states would come together in the Senate and kill it every single year, every single year, because 
the small states don't want to give up that money. Understandable. So uh, we're going to continue to get our 50 cents back, and uh. Indiana's going to continue to get their 63 cents, and they're going to brag that they're so much better than us, but actually we're kind of uh, really, really leading the path, and, yeah. and we're getting a little bit better than Indiana with, on a lot of things. And a big part of that are the unions, right? Because And the reason that we're able to make sure that the that labor and, and working families uh, have some stability in comparison to places like Indiana, where they do get more back in, in tax dollars, but, you know, I remember there was a uh, what's the it was a young senator uh, Berkman Berk is that sound right Senator Berkman was telling me that uh, well you know in Indiana I, I, I was telling him that in Indiana at the time in 2016 executives were earning about 272 times what their employees were making and he go and he said well at least it's a job. Like this is really the, this is truly, and uh, and Joseph Reinhardt who joins us from uh, from the Painters Union Local two sixty five. Is this secretary, treasurer, and business manager? Do you, do you have to have all three jobs? And then... <laughs> yeah, uh, a whole more than that too. Yeah, know, I believe it. I believe heads. it. But I mean, that's the reaction people have, and that's that's what we we came up against in uh, with SAG AFTRA. Fortunately, we were able to continue to tell our story, and we have approval. Like seventy percent of uh, Americans support SAG AFTRA, but they. Also, are like oh, you know, you have a, a fun job. You should be lucky to be working. That's how people talk, isn't it? Yeah, every day, yeah. every day. You know, we talk to these guys, and they're making you know twenty dollars an hour. Well, I'm working. Yeah. Well, what about if you get sick? What about your pension? What about you know, you're just for your kids to to have a better life, right? And you're going to sit there and stick in these jobs that are not going to get you anywhere, and then you get uh, you know screwed over by the contractor, and there's nobody there to help you get your money back. Exactly. And then we do that every day. Yeah, it's it's nuts. And I can't believe that we, you know, uh, we've been talking to our friends in other states. We talked to uh, Jess Piper, who's the Dirt, the dirt Road Dem in Missouri. Uh, we talked to our friend uh, Dan Schaefer. Uh, he's the author of the Recombobulation Area in Wisconsin. I can't believe that Wisconsin is so all over the map when this is a place where labor essentially really blossomed. Yeah, we cannot figure it out. You know, it's it, they're our neighbor. They're having some problems up there themselves. But uh, yeah. down here, it's, uh, like I said, with everything happening, uh, unions are, uh, you know, looked on more favorably by the younger people Yeah, right now because they're like, wow. You know, like I said, you get your health and welfare and your pension and a savings plan. So, like, apprentice starts in uh, electricians right now or even with us. By the time he walks out, they have close to a million dollars. That's just in their annuity. Not that's not including their pension. See, and sometimes I used to think like, should I, have, uh, you know, we, we, our our uh, benefits in SAG after are a little bit different. <laughs> like we have to earn at least twenty six thousand dollars a year to qualify for health insurance. Eighty seven percent of us don't meet that threshold because there's so many. We have one hundred sixty seven thousand members. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like you know, we well, you know it's amazing. And so I haven't told the audience much about our contract, but I can't tell you. Uh, this is going to sound so, I don't know how it lands for other people. When we get auditions, like let's say at one point in my career, I was getting maybe six to eight auditions a week, right? Um, and I just, I had to pull back because, because I would have to memorize. I would have to be a different person for each, you know, audition. Uh, and so they're doing this thing now where we don't have to, we, they're, they're eliminating the stress of, 
having to memorize everything because it's just it's impossible because these are the, you're going to get maybe one out of a hundred jobs and they're making you do all this work so that's gone they're limiting the number of pages we have to work on all like these are some of the silly things that people don't necessarily think about but like just the stress of that being gone I'm so grateful for <laughs> like thank you thank you for that but they're also doing protections for AI which uh, is really important is there any I know that there is some legislation in Springfield in regards to AI have you had a chance to look at the at the at what the the direction of that's going to be well i know that the one thing that we did pass in a uh, representative jennifer gongertswitz passed it uh is deep fakes yeah and yeah. Uh, and really nailing down on that because that's uh one of the things that i think is very very concerning and so we passed legislation to address that i know that uh the general assembly is going to bring up more in the ai field uh next year and it, and it's been a topic of discussion with um our our national partners ncsl uh, and nationwide, we're looking at legislation in other states on how they're uh, fortifying AI. In addition to that, we're looking at, uh, you know, the algorithms, the yeah. Facebook algorithms and, and making sure that our youth aren't targeted like we've seen them being targeted sure. with ads and, and being ad- uh, addressed by people that they shouldn't be, like, contacting with and age verifications and looking at Facebook as a business and I, I realize there's that free speech component, but there is a business model. And right. we need to look at their business model. And if they're doing uh, unfair and unsavory practices with their algorithms, we need to, we as a government, need to crack down on that. That's the role of government is to protect the health, safety, and welfare of the people, the people in the state of Illinois and also on the national level. So we're looking at that as well. Next session. That's yeah. great. We're hanging out with, uh, with Representative Stephanie Kifowit and uh, Joseph Reinhardt, who is uh, the business manager, secretary, treasurer of Local 265. Is that right? Painters okay. District Council 14. <laughs> Painters Council District 14. I'm on some other website then. Am I on the wrong page? Hold on a second. Yeah. I, I used to be. Affiliated. Is that an old page? Oh, well, yes. <laughs> That's the first thing that comes up for you, just so oh, you know. It? So, no, local yeah, district no. uh, 14. Yeah, pdc14.com. PDC14. He's like, he let it go the last time. He let me do yeah. that. Very oh, kind. I, I, am from, correct I, I am from uh, Local 265, though. See, so all these slide. things. So it, all, it all works. It all, all comes right. together. All well, let's take a quick break here and continue our conversation when we come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. If you have a question for either one of our guests, the number is 773-763-9278. More in a moment. Vasquez is taking your calls now. At 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Now on WCPT 820. We are hanging out in studio with Representative Stephanie Kipowit. And joining us as well is the Secretary, Business Manager, and Treasurer for Painters Local 14. Almost right. Almost right. What <laughs> business is it? Manager, Secretary, Treasurer. I think I said all those things just in a different order. Oh, that's BMST. <laughs> BMST. Gotcha. Well, thank you for joining us, both of you. And uh, it was a, it is a very good year for labor. I think that uh, seeing UAW get there, get what they asked for. Look, when it, the SAG-AFTRA's uh, resolution is still sort of hanging out there, and I knew it was going to be complicated when W when WGA settled. Uh, like they were excited. They they almost seemed like they couldn't believe they got what they got. Mm. And I told everyone from the beginning when they settled that, uh, or when they came to an agreement and voted to ratify, uh, we're more disposable in the eyes of the industry. I mean, don't you get the sense that like a lot of people just think, well, anybody could do that job when it comes to, to labor of any of any type. That's right. We hear that all the time. Anybody can paint, but yeah. can you do it properly and have it, you know, it's a protective coating, you know, it's going to fail, look right. like crap, you know, it's 
that's why you need professional painters to go in there and, and you know take care of business and make sure that it's done properly so that there is no paint failure, just like the tank uh, in Lagrange. You know, we what happened with the tank in Lagrange? Um, they painted it last year, and the paint is already failing because they used a non-union contractor uh. from Michigan. And our, uh, after the inspection, we got a hold of it, and our guys just went to the uh, um, to their village meeting mm-hmm. last week. And it's you know, it's out there. It's, it's uh, in the newspapers, and now the residents are like, "What's going on?" Can't do this all over again. Yeah. Well, they well, they have to come back and fix it. It's under warranty, but. Unfortunately, we, we can't stop them. But a year before they, when they put the bid in, we told them don't use them because they're not going to do it the proper way. So that that coating should have lasted fifteen years, and they didn't last one. Jeez, that is crazy. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, it, in order to cut corners and save money, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Twenty five thousand dollars. That was all they saved. Mm-hmm. And. Not, let's not save them now. No, 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 no. It's now really it's a big not. headache. I was really excited to see. There's a list. I don't remember, have you seen this like list of, uh, of the Thanksgiving, like the foods at our union shops? Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's, uh, I, I, I think, Cool Whip. I was so excited to find that. I was excited to find out that my blender is made in the United States by union shops. Like that kind of stuff is great. We need to pay attention to that. Yeah, absolutely. We send out a list all the time around every holiday. Yeah. Even like the brewers, I love seeing that. Yeah, which I, I you know, we got our we have our progressive Brewmanaco Brewing Company as our sponsor, but uh, I know that there's a lot of really great. Uh, I, I'll see if I have any samples for you to take home with you. <laughs> I don't know if you're. Uh, I have I have some woke coffee. <laughs> oh yeah. No, the, the, those are great. I buy those all the time. Do you really? Yeah. Thank yeah. you. You but support whenever, you support whenever I'm show? in that area. Yeah, I always yeah. pick them up. So. Well, they're available in the Chicagoland area now too. Oh, very yeah, good. Yeah, but I will send you home with some at least some woke. It's nitro woke coffee. Is so it's not uh, it's not uh, alcoholic. It's just a coffee. Coffee's really good. it's really good. I like coffee. Like shockingly good. <laughs> so, what are your plans uh, for the holidays for Thanksgiving? Is, your son is is he still in Japan? Yeah, he's, he's going to be in Japan for another yeah. two years. Oh so. my god, so, serving so, in yeah. the navy. Yes, he's in the navy, and and going back to you know made in America. I mean his uh, his ship was out there by Taiwan, and and China unloaded like a whole half of their fleet on watching their ships and stuff. So. Uh, if you don't buy American, you're supporting China and their aggression against our troops. So, again, everything's interconnected. Whether yeah. it's climate change or, or the stuff that you buy, uh, when you're buying something from China, you're supporting that economy that's being aggressive towards our troops over there. So, buy and, American. And so much manufacturing. And that's one, been one of the things that, that President Biden has been focusing on yeah. is bringing back more manufacturing. My favorite movie growing up, and this is such a – I mean, like, I, the image of uh, – of Sally Field uh, in Norma Ray, yeah. like what a weird movie to love as a kid, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Just, but we, but we, you know, as actors, like we've been using that image of you know, like going against the grain. Everyone, people are like, oh, you know, come on, we're lucky to have these jobs. No, we need to stand together. It's important. Well, but are, you're lucky to have a job, but does that mean you get treated like terrible? Yeah. I mean, I mean, treatment. I mean, I mean, oh, you're lucky to have your job, but if you're treated terribly, is that really? kind of the foundations of our country and the foundations of our society and right you know our community that i mean that's not i mean no. that's why that's why going back to the unions you know we have 40 hour work week and uh and yes. our, our safety protections because you know hello you're lucky to have a job but if you lose your your half your hand you know that's not a lucky thing so, right uh, don't even get me started on the, on the states that are lowering the child labor laws <laughs> and, they, and they're shortening the school week 
Are you kidding me? Yeah. Let's uh, let's <laughs> before I start before I start yelling. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're hanging out in studio with uh, Joseph Reinhardt, who is the B, the business manager, secretary, treasurer for Painters Local District 14. Uh, he's also a member of uh, num- of district of is it what's 265? That local is that 265. Local 265. Representative Stephanie Kifowit, representing the mm, 84th now, district. 84th. See, I got just too much information. I didn't write it all. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Thank you so much for hanging out with us as we drive it home, and we want to welcome our friends in Minneapolis-St. Paul listening on KTNF 9.50 a.m. as well as 8.20 a.m. right here in Chicago on WCPT. Joining me in studio is Representative Stephanie Kifowit, and we also have from local local number, District Number 14, Painters Union, I got all out of order, Joseph Reinhardt, who's the business manager, treasurer, secretary. Uh, he likes those in a different order, but those that's the way they came out of my face. Well, you got Go the point across. <laughs> He's like, I have my business card. Do you want the business card? And, yeah, that might help. And joining us on the line from Rural Organizing, we have Seba- Sean Sebastian. Hey, Sean, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much. We're so happy to have you on the show. We've been doing our best to highlight, uh, you know, the parts of the country that whether it's, you know, the lack of amplification. Uh, we talked to Jess Piper from Dirt Road Dems. We talked to our friends in Iowa, North Carolina. And tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing and, and how you're covering rural areas and trying to engage people politically. Yeah, so <clears throat> ruralorganizing.org is an organization with 600,000 people who have taken action with us by uh, online and we have over we have over 80,000 advocates um and 4,000 civic leaders. Those are people who are hold local positions of power uh like their city councilors, county board of members of the county board of supervisors, uh school su- superintendents and we support those local leaders. Um, in identifying local solutions and engaging their local communities to solve local problems. What are some of the, you know, we, we were talking in the last hour about a lot of these groups that have emerged and are trying to uh, thwart the efforts of school boards to make sure that all kids have access to whether it's education, you know, and, and pushing back against voucher systems or making sure that they have access to books in the library that some people are like, oh, that, that's too tawdry. I don't, I don't want my child reading that and somehow imposing that, inflicting that on other kids. Is that something that you guys are also working on to make sure that, that people have the full range of protections? Absolutely. We're working with our members who are um, either parents or teachers or members of their school board to stop uh, the Moms for Liberty pushes um, for book. So we're pushing back against book bans. We're pushing back against anti-trans and anti-LBGTQ policies that are happening at the school at the school board level. And honestly, a lot of those policies are really unpopular, even in deep red territory. That is good to know. That is really good to know. You guys have to feel very good about the results in places like Kentucky, Ohio, uh, Virginia, uh, Iowa. Tell us a little bit about the election that we had two weeks ago and the results and and part of the work that you guys did to make that those those achievements. Yeah, well, um, just like I was saying that those uh, policies that Moms for Liberty are pushing are really quite unpopular. We saw Moms for Liberty take massive losses, you know, across the country, including 
Um, I think over 70% of those Moms for Liberty candidates lost in Iowa. We obviously saw great, um, great results in Virginia. And in Ohio, we had a massive program um, in rural Ohio to fight for reproductive rights. Um, we had uh, we knocked over 30,000 doors in Ohio, in rural Ohio, uh, in favor of the abortion, uh, in favor, in favor of the abortion resolution. And we had a really innovative sign program uh, where we distributed signs to people across rural, uh, rural Ohio in 65 of the 88 counties. Our theory is that rural progressives are really lonely and feel neglected, and they don't see allies in their community or see themselves reflected in the Democratic Party. So that's why visibility is so important for rural progressives to come out of the shadows. So we um, were able to distribute um, over 11,000 signs across 65 counties, um, and through that, we were we identified 1,400 local locals, people who not only took a sign and put it in their own yard, but distributed signs to their friends and neighbors. And each of those signs generated conversation. Um, so on average, between four to six conversations for each sign. So we're talking each of those signs generated forty to 60,000 uh, conversations o- over the entire state. And when you say signs, you mean like lawn signs, window signs? I know that you guys invest in billboards as well. But uh, Representative Stephanie Kifowit and I have and I've run for office and and she has held office for several years now. And there's always this line that, you know, signs don't vote. But what you're talking about is visibility and letting people know that you're not alone in the community. I mean, I have a in this house, we believe sign and my neighbors put one up and then another neighbor put one up so that people know that there are allies. You might not put one up, but at least, you know, you're not alone out there. Right. That's the goal. And to start those conversations. That's exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, I've I've heard we've heard this, too, that signs don't vote. And the the truth is the dynamic is really different in rural areas where people can feel really alone. So you don't know. So it creates a permission structure for other people who are around you to come up and start a conversation and say and, you know, and learn more about what reproductive rights and like what the ballot initiative says. And it actually is really important for people to see that there are supporters around them, even in their deep red area. Uh, you can jump in any time, Representative, if you no, want. Yeah. Uh, signs don't vote, but the people that live in those houses vote. So if you're going to go around and be a candidate and put signs in the weeds, those weeds are not going to vote for you. No, <laughs> yes, they're not. They're not. Well, but yeah. you put them in the house, and, and I've literally been walking down the street, and somebody told me, hey, your sign's in Fred's yard, and I had to meet you because if Fred likes you, yeah. then I like you. So it, it really does, uh, just to reemphasize what the gentleman was saying, it really does motivate people to um, to hear the message. Yeah, I love that. And we're, by the way, we're talking to Sean Sebastian from Rural Organizing. You go to ruralorganizing.org. And I mentioned billboards. You guys are also, you know, making inroads with accessing, like connecting with people by radio. I would lo- I got to I got to give you a call sometime because we we want to get we want to get into more, con- you know, more areas. But I'm, I'm guessing, you know, just knowing that there are conversations, even when people call here, they're they're happy to know that they're not crazy. I mean, that's the bottom line sometimes, isn't it, Sean? That's exactly right. I mean, it's really hard to build community sometimes, especially in rural areas. So knowing that there's other people who think like you out there, whether that's through a yard sign, a billboard, or listening to your show on the radio. Yeah, we got to get out there. Well, and I have to say, Sean, that it's the same thing with veterans. 
Because we have mm-hmm. a lot of Democratic veterans out there that don't know that there's other Democrats that are veterans out there. Because when you go to the VFWs, you go to these events, you got uh, a lot of Republican, a lot of Republican talk, a lot of uh, waving the flag and, and, and veterans that are really hardcore to the right. But believe it or not, there are a lot of Democrats that are veterans. And, and I'm working in, in our state to identify them and to put a group together, Illinois Veterans for Change which is a, a home for Democrats that are veterans where they might not have a home uh, in their veteran community where they live at. That's, that's great. great. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that's, and I think that's probably more of, uh, you know, as we continue to build these, uh, these networks uh, that will continue to grow. And some of the work that you're doing is also on farm bills. How, I mean, because, you know, we think of like farmers as also being, you know, more conservative. Uh, but I think that they are, there's starting to be this uh, understanding of that relationship with the government, whether it's subsidies, uh, how much, the, you know, whether it's the roads, uh, equipment and things like that. Tell us a little bit about how, how farmers are reacting to the conversations you're having. Yeah, well, uh, farmers are, we're really fighting for, uh, to stop, uh, corporate concentration that is hurting small farmers across the country. And also the farm bill isn't just about farmers. It's also the largest rural development, um, program that we have that is contained within the farm bill. So lots of people, um, other than, so for farmers, there's, plenty for us to do in terms of making sure that small farmers can make ends meet. And then also there's all of the people in rural areas who work in retail, who work for the government, who work in schools, who work in hospitals, where actually um, the bulk of the people employed in rural areas are not associated with agriculture. And those people need to need to have like need help making ends meet, like need help with childcare. Uh, need need to make sure that their schools stay open and their hospitals stay open. So we've really advocated for a farm bill that looks at the needs of everyone in rural communities. And we've also introduced our own bill called Recompete that is a $200 million bill that was included in appropriations that most of that $200 million is going to rural areas. And we're helping rural communities right now apply for that funding. And the other issue we actually mentioned in the last hour were uh, hospital deserts and food deserts. You know, there are places where grocery stores, when you talk about corporations consolidating and, and kind of sweeping up all access, uh, you know, there are, hosp- there, there are some places in Illinois even, Rep, where women have to drive an hour and a half for maternal care. Uh, and that's, and it's, it's worse in, in states where, uh, you know, they've decided whether it's because of abortion care, you know, that some of these folks have to like fold up, fold their practice. Uh, what are you hearing from people in regards to health care access? Because that has to be a priority in, in a lot of communities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a hospital in a rural community is absolutely a linchpin. Like, uh, and we're seeing like a crisis in rural hospital closures. Rural hospitals mean that families can stay in their own, in their communities of their choice. When a hospital closes, it means that maternity care might be an hour or more away. It means that dialysis might be an hour or more away. And then you have to, and then you may not be able to live in your community that you've chosen, that you've grown up in, that you want to stay in. It may not be practical anymore. Not to mention all of the jobs that are lost. Oftentimes the hospital is a primary employer in rural areas. So the, the hospital is like absolutely essential to rural life. And maintaining rural life. So, and we're in the midst of a rural hospital closure crisis that really requires some creative thinking. 
And, you know, part of, you know, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of the emergence of organizations like yours and, and Dirt Road Dems is frustration that there has not been enough support at the national level from Democrats, from progressives, just essentially writing off entire states and just figuring, well, we're not going to win that. And that's how we, you know, let that sort of spread to other states as well. You know, Wisconsin used to not have as much of a, a, a red grip on, on, on that area. And so I think that neglect has, has contributed to this. What can we do to support you? How can how can Dems in Illinois or in our listening area in Minnesota as well, how can we support the work you're doing? Yeah, I think the first thing to do is to go to ruralorganizing.org and sign up for updates from our mailing list. And we can you can see the great work that we're doing day in and day out. Um, and I think that um, we'll, we oftentimes have uh, actions to help support our local post office, to support a progressive farm bill, and to support really great policies like Recompete. Excellent. And let me ask you before before we uh, we wrap up a little bit here. Uh, where did you grow up, my friend? Iowa. You grew up I in- grew up in Ames, Iowa. Yeah. Ames, Iowa. Okay. So what what drew, yeah. what drew you to organizing and politics? Well, you know, I think that I, you know, from a young age, I kind of saw the haves and the have-nots in my own community, and I I was on the have-not side of things, and I really wanted things to be fairer, and I'm a product of public schools and a public university, and I, the public library was my babysitter, and I just want to make sure that those public goods are available for kids coming up after me. Well, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. And we would love to check in with you and, and update folks on the work you're doing. And, uh, and again, support what you're doing. Again, go to ruralorganizing.org and uh, find out what issues are being focused on right now, how they're getting the messaging out, and what you can do to be a part of that. Uh, so let's check in again next month. So before, before we head into 2024 in this uh, very aggressive election year, and, and let us know how we can help, okay? Great. Sounds great. Thank you so so much for having me. Of course. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. You too. Take care. Thank you. Let's uh, take a break here. I know we've got a caller on hold. We'll talk about more topics as we continue our conversation on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF 950 AM. We're in studio with uh, Joseph Reinhardt from Local 14. No, District 14. Painters, painters. He's a business manager, secretary, treasurer. Also with local numbers two sixty five. A lot of lot of numbers, a lot of titles. Yeah. I, and I still can't remember what Representative Kifowitz district is. <laughs> Representative Stephanie Kifowitz, eighty four, is like the Oswego area over by parts of Aurora. Aurora. Yeah, St. Charles. No. no, Geneva. No, no, Naperville. Oh, there you go. Oswego, Naperville. Yeah, four counties. Yeah, four counties. Uh, yeah, King Kendall, Kendall, Will, and DuPage. That's a lot. Eighty-four district. There you go. Eighty-four. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, 84. Gonna, I'm gonna, here, I'm gonna write it on my hand. Eighty-four, <laughs> and it's district 15, 16, and fourteen, eighteen. <laughs> Let's take a break here. We'll take there. a calls when we come back. WCPT at twenty. And they say all these numbers. It's too much. There we go. Hey there, it's your guy Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200, or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez. In your communities in Chicago. On WCPT 820. 
here in studio with State Representative Stephanie Kimwin, who represents the 84th District, and Joe Reinhardt with Painters District 14. He's a business manager, secretary, treasurer. Did I get that in the right order? You almost got it right. Gosh darn it. What part am I getting wrong? Painters District Council 14, business Council. manager, secretary, treasurer. Okay, I feel like that was pretty close. <laughs> pretty close. I, feel, I feel like we're nitpicking. Get, yeah, that's, that's nitpicking. Right. It's nitpicking. Are you asking? Come on. You, you, no, you know, did. these guys ask. with their titles, I man. Me. I tell you, these I, titles. My whole, my whole career I've been out, I introduced as Vasquez, and, uh, <laughs> okay. and I flinch, too. Believe me, I flinch. <laughs> so I do the same thing. Well, they put a Z at the end of my name all the time. Do they really? Yeah. Kifowitz? It's, yep. Like Sipowitz? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you very much. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that's a new name now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was watching. Okay, let's hang here from Earl. I'm going to come to you in just a moment. There, there was a direct, the director of the movie The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. Prior to that, he made a movie called Stony Island, which is uh, it's in Chicago and it's a it's from the late 1970s. And I was watching, and I was I kind of had it in the background. I was going to interview the director, um, so I did, but I didn't have time to watch the whole thing. And, but I had to work too. And I'm like, that sounds a lot like Dennis Franz, and Dennis Franz is in this movie. So it was I highly recommend. Uh, it just celebrated their 45th anniversary of the movie, and it is available now on streaming. It was uh, they had a they had a uh, screening of it at the uh, um, Gene Siskel. You know the multimedia faucets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to our conversation. Let's. Uh, I know Earl's been on hold, calling from Hyde Park. Earl, thank you so much for joining us. What's on your mind, my friend? Ah, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you to you and your guest. Uh, happy, uh, <clears throat> excuse my voice. Happy uh, holidays, and everybody is safe and blessed. Um, basically, my comment was: I really believe that the rich. Uh, Republican supporters uh, have, you know, put a plan in action where a number of people have to be poorly educated. Remember Trump and one of his rally rally said, "I I love my uneducated people." Yeah. Um, I really think that they uh, want to keep us hungry so that uh, we'll take the uh, jobs that come along that uh, will. Uh, you know, just menial jobs that uh, that don't pay a lot of money, and uh, they don't, we don't have health care because you know they uh, they have us um, trying to you know rely on public health. Uh, the Republican Party now is trying to uh, cut back on welfare and Social Security and all the other social services that we need because they're not paying sufficient funds uh, and salaries. So uh, I really think this is a planned uh, situation where they want us to be young and dumb, in other words, uh, poor and hungry and needy so that uh, they can uh, have cheap labor mm-hmm. and uneducated people so that uh, uh, we are not aware of some of the things that they're doing to keep us in a certain place. So thank you, Patty. Yes. And to your guests for taking my call. But I just wish that we had... Oh, one other thing. Yes. Don't blame just the Democrats about the problem in the red states. Oh, don't blame... I also blame. want you to blame... Yes. Uh, I also want you to blame the millionaires and billionaires who are so-called, quote, liberal for not funding uh, programs on the radio, TV, 
TV yes. that would reach these communities mm-hmm. so that we could have, a, uh, they would have a competition to the rig uh, media that's coming into those communities and maybe we could turn more of them blue. I agree. I was, All right. I, I'll tell you this much. I, I, I've mentioned this before. Uh, I interviewed uh, J.B. Pritzker before he became governor while he was running for office. I had an hour interview with him that I pre-recorded because my show was so late at night at the time. And then I was filling in for a daytime host at like two in the afternoon. And I uh, invited him and uh, Treasurer Frerichs onto my show to give them uh, amplification. And J.B. Pritzker came in and he goes, this is great. How do we get you on in the daytime? I said, bye. A radio station. <laughs> I, I don't know how to get this across to, to folks. And, and fortunately, we do have a liberal that su- supports WCPT, but we need more of it. We need to have more reach. And uh, I'm working to wor- uh, you know, get coverage in rural areas, including Wisconsin. Uh, we're talking to, we're going to talk to folks in California about carrying this show as well. We, I agree. We need more amplification of these conversations. So thank you, Earl. All right. Thank you. I agree. Well, going along those lines, I don't know if you've read uh, about the unions of Lee Enterprises. And uh, and they just got a uh, oh, the the Southern newspapers. Illinois, the Southern Illinois newspaper. Yeah, yeah they were acquired, they fired a bunch of and people. they're firing them all. And the union is uh, protesting that because it's an unfair labor practice because they just sold it as an asset, not not for the news right. worthiness of it, which is, you know, and they, 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 they you know. They're vulture capital. I mean, they're venture capitalists. You know, so, uh, <laughs> well done. You know, they're yeah, just whoops. they're just you know buying them up and dismantling them, and, and yeah. uh, that that's our news right there. So uh, you know, you got to give a shout out to the unions of Lee Enterprises for fighting for. Um, you know, making sure that the news gets out there to people in Southern Illinois. We have to pay for journalism, folks. Uh, I, I, every time, and I get it. I get that when you see a link to an article that's important to you, you, you see the paywall. Um, and, and unfortunately, the model is they're still catching up with how to make sure they can both pay journalists what they're, you know, what they're worth and get the stories out there. And and so, you know, we used to pay, you know, 25 cents in the, you know, 80s. It was 25 cents to grab your sometimes your Tribune and read it on the train so if you if you think if you get an, an ad that says hey for a dollar a week for six weeks you know give it a try and if it's valuable to you continue to support that publication i mean it, you guys it, it it's important it's valuable let's pay people what they're worth i still do the paper yeah oh, you still my, do the paper? My, my fingers still get black <laughs> <laughs> i agree i like the paper better I love the too paper. i love the, i can't read I just, it online i just, i just love the paper i I'm, yeah. I'm both. I do a little bit of both. I do a little bit. And, and support, you know, local journalists. We have uh, Dan Schaefer from the Recombobulation Area support his work on Substack. Uh, you know, we support uh, Block Club does a great job here in Chicago, making sure that neighborhood stories are being shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the, the good work at the Sun-Times, the Chicago Tribune. Uh, Crane's Business has a lot of great stories. I mean, you know, these are, you, you ha- in order mm-hmm. to know what's going on and, and find the publications that you trust. I was talking yesterday yeah. about more right-leaning, you know, journalism and left-leaning journalism, you know, but the, you can go, there's a, there are websites, just Google, you know, uh, not, uh, you know, unbiased news and you'll find, you'll actually find like the charts of like who skews the, which oh, way or the other. charts are amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and, and, you, and I, I love when they give you an example. Here's how Biden's birthday was covered, right? So you yeah. can see what the headline is and where, the, how, what the All coverage right. skews. You know, I still get an email from Eric Zorn. He's still writing, too. Yeah, he is. Let's take a he quick is. break here. Uh, we come back after this on WCP. He had a, a rough take on something that I, I agree with the people who uh, challenged him on his uh, well, opinion. That's yeah. what's important, though. You put it out there and you get challenged yeah. on it. That's, he's, that's what you know, it's for. You know he's a, an opinion columnist, though. I so. know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. there are bloggers who make a lot of money, too. More yeah, of this yeah. on WCP. <laughs> <laughs> they buy houses at Portage Park with it. 
You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We are in studio. It's a full house. It's nice to have guests back. I mean, for a long time, we, uh, especially during the pandemic, obviously, we didn't have too many people in the studio. We've been hanging out with Representative Stephanie Kifowit, representing the 84th District over by there, uh, including like Oswego, Aurora, Naperville. Uh, that's Kendall, Kane, DuPage, and Will Counties. Did I get it all? Yes, ma'am. Well, look at that. <laughs> look at that. When Joseph Reinhardt leaves the room, I can remember everything. <laughs> and joining us in the studio from Fair Vote, Illinois, is Rebecca Williams. We're going to talk about ranked choice voting, which has been a hot topic for the last couple of years. How are you doing, Rebecca? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Let me sure I get your microphone on. I'm thrilled to have you in studio. Thank you. Where Where'd you grow up, my friend? Uh, I grew up in a few different states. I moved out to Illinois, specifically Chicago, at the very beginning of 2015. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So, I've been here for a while and uh, was in Chicago for about seven and a half years. And now I'm over in Willowbrook. Oh. Uh, but, yeah. But I'm the statewide organizer for Fairvote, Illinois. So, I kind of do work all over. And how yeah. long have you been with Fairvote, Illinois? Uh, since August of 2022. Okay. Oh, so not that long. Yeah. Oh, all right. So you just celebrated your one-year anniversary this summer? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. What drew you to this this kind of work and, and organizing? Yeah, well, I got into organizing work just as a volunteer back in, uh, around the end of 2016, early 2017. There were some changes in our country. And what? I, uh, <laughs> and I... And I also just wasn't very happy with my job at the time. And I thought, I need to, you know, find something where I feel like I'm making a difference sure. and doing something good. And I'm really passionate about environmental issues. So that's kind of what I went for at first. But I got involved with a group that was uh, a nonpartisan environmental group, which is kind of rare. But I thought they were, uh, they were advocating for really good policy and just started doing that a lot and I loved it and I learned a lot just from that experience just as a volunteer and um, after a couple of years of doing that I just decided to pivot out of the work I was doing and get into organizing full-time so uh, I did that with some other organizations and then I had planned to stick in the environmental field, mm -hmm. but when I was looking for a job last year in 2022, I came across this group in Illinois that's working on ranked choice voting, and I'd been a fan of that ever since I'd heard about it a couple years prior, and so went for that, and it has been so great. It is such a pleasant issue to work on, and it's something that I really feel like can make a difference. So, <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard anyone it. talk about an issue that they're, they're working on as pleasant. Because <laughs> like in contrast, you said that the, uh, the the environmental group that you worked with was nonpartisan, which you mentioned was unique. Yeah. And and so, you know, with that, you know, sort of um, experience of working with people for a, a common goal, you know, in this, the common goal is to have better representation and candidates who can run on their 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 values on Absolutely. their on their platform rather than on I don't know negative campaigning. <laughs> yeah, um, but I'm, but it does it does kind of you know make people rather than like I'm the you know I'm good because that person's bad. It's it's more and tell people why that that's the case. Yeah. So with ranked choice voting, you have to have. 
50% or more support to win. So you have to win with a true majority, not just a plurality, which um, just to define plurality, let's say you have four people in a race. That means maybe if you get 40% of the vote and the other 60% is split among the other three, you could still win. Uh, but the problem with that kind of system, which is the current yeah. setup for um for Illinois is that it can it can incentivize a lot of negative campaigning mm-hmm. because you you are you can just pit someone against you and say you know they're the worst you yep. need to vote for me um, and then the other issue is even if you have candidates that are very similar to you, maybe they're ideologically similar, um, it's still, you can still split the vote and everything. So it can cause a lot of in-party fighting. And and that's the issue that I have is you cannibalize good candidates who then you you could actually then collaborate with, maybe work together on things like the fair tax, you know, or whatever the issues are that you can then, you know, take all of those, those resources and energy and talent, right? Yes. And so... With the with the plurality system right now, it just sets us up for a lot of bad incentives. Um, there's even, you know, dirty politics where someone might prop up another a candidate what? to get it to split the vote. You mean or- like a police officer running in an area that has a lot of first responders? I'm sorry, continue. Yeah, so there's a lot like that. But on the flip side, uh, in places that have started to use this, I think it was um, some places in Maine where we've seen this commercial. Uh, we have we have seen it go so far to the other extreme, and not that it's always this wonderful, but um, where candidates will actually be uh, running campaign ads together. Yeah, and they'll be saying, "Hey, you know, we're both really similar. I mean, we'd love to win, but." Rank me first, rank rank him second, right. or you know, rank me first, rank her second. So that's kind of what you can get with ranked choice voting, as opposed to the knockdown dragout fights we see a lot nowadays. Yeah, I mean that that's one of the things that uh, I, I started having conversations during the pandemic with Andrew. I can't remember the, Andrew Silva, uh, our executive yes. director. Yeah, yeah, so we started talking about, it, and I I had never because uh, I remember. So I ran in 2020. I think that you can see by the giggling in the studio that I have very specific experience with negative and really I mean like traumatic I mean I, I laugh about it but it was traumatizing mm. uh, it took it weaponized the trauma of rape survivors of homicide survivors oh of goodness. domestic violence survivors I mean like legit and, and and it was unnecessary and I remember standing in front of a polling place and this guy came up to me he's like you know well you know she's not going to get 50% so you'll meet her in the runoff and I said no this is a primary it's a plurality so mm-hmm. whatever and so I came within four points yeah. and I feel good about that um, what I don't feel good about is what it did in regard to my ability to call, like work with people in the party, and so you you do you weaken your yes. your the, the goals that you're fighting for by cannibalizing somebody. So again, absolutely. So I can giggle about it, but it, it's for a specific reason. And and it's and then you know the negative the negative campaigning. I mean, people would come out to 
to the polling places and hand me stacks how many negative mailers they had gotten, right? And they were they were angry about it. So it does make people cynical about the process too for the mm-hmm. voters, right? Yeah. And speaking to that runoff situation, so we do have a couple places in Illinois that use runoffs. Yes. Chicago being one of them, right? Um, and those aren't great for a variety of reasons. They cost the city money. They make voters come out all over again. They make candidates campaign for a whole other month. Um, and in that time, a lot of a lot of the time it gets really nasty because then they've just they've got one person yeah. they can punch against as opposed to you know the whole field. But um, so that's something we love to see eliminated in Chicago. But yeah, about cannibalizing the field, I mean, I know you said you represent Naperville as one mm-hmm. of your, as part of your district. Uh, we have a lot of interest in Naperville right now. We have a lot of groups that are very willing to help try to get it on the ballot for that city so they could start using it there. And a big part of the interest is because Naperville is such a politically active city, they often have a ton of candidates running. And that has caused a lot of infighting within their party. Really? It's it's a yeah. lot of um, just worry that they're going to split the vote, that, you know, oh, you need to wait to run because because it's it's wait a, your turn. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that's not really allowing our democracy to flourish when we have to operate in that way. I mean, <laughs> so, and, and that's I mean, that is the goal. I think is there I mean, like as an incumbent, do you know, do you have I mean, and you don't have to you don't have to chime in on this if you don't want rep. But I think that's probably one of the biggest resistors is probably incumbents. Right. Is that it's that's it, a it's challenging to think of uh, ranked choice voting. Um, you know, from that perspective, because you guys are the ones that would have to pass it. I don't see, and it, and it has passed in other state legislatures. How 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 do we convince the incumbents well, that this is in their best interest? I, I think first it's an education thing. So I think uh, Illinois is going to be looking at Evanston, right? Evanston passed ranked voting for their local elections and, and just to see how it works out. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it isn't, you know, there is that, that avenue of incumbency in everything. I'm not right. going to lie. It's it's in everything. But um, but I think that there's also a knowledge, um, kind of a knowledge gap. Of people don't really understand it to its fullest extent because you're more comfortable with the, the picking one. what you know right. than what you don't know. And this is voting, which is very important to people. And so I think a lot of eyes are going to be looked at in Evanston's local elections in 2025 that uh, to see how their ranked voting happens. Because we can look at other states, but it's it's right here in our backyard. So we're, sure, we're going to we be looking at Evanston to see how it works and, and, um, and to see all those nuances with regards to the election. But I think... You know, pick one or two. As an incumbent, people will most likely be up to pick one for the incumbent. I'm just hypothesizing. Right. So I don't think that incumbency issue is that big. It, it is a factor. But I think the unknown, the fear of the unknown is a sure. big factor with regards to ranked choice voting. I, I just think that for electeds to vote for ranked choice voting is is like asking them to vote for uh, term limits, which would be tough. As, you know what I'm saying? No, I, I don't think so. No, you think I, that- I don't think so. I, I bring on ranked choice voting. You know, the best person will win. And, and you See- know. And, and I think that's that's the, the avenue. I've always had that. I've yeah. always had that attitude, and I think a lot of people have to have that attitude. So I don't think it's the same. Uh, term limits is getting rid of institutional.
don't knowledge is so that the lobbyists and the bureaucrats can rule the world. Yeah, that's what term limits does. But yep. I think ranked choice voting is really the fear of the unknown is the driving factor of it. And now that we have one microcosm in Evanston that voted for it, it's going to be in 2025. I think a lot once people start looking at it and understanding it and feeling it and realizing what it's all about, it, it definitely could be something that's considered. Yeah. I think you're really spot on with all your points, and I love hearing an incumbent not being worried about it because I don't think incumbents should be worried if you if you are the best for the job, if you're doing your job well, uh, ranked choice voting isn't going to hurt you. It's, it's it actually could help us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's merely gonna you know allow people to be able to express their support in a better way. But um, you're so right that. A lot of the work that Fairboat Illinois does is that education work. It is ranked choice voting is not a tough sell to people. It is simply just an unknown. Uh, when we go out and canvas or even when we talk to groups of people, a lot of times they've either they've either never heard of it or if they've heard the words, they couldn't exactly explain to you what it means. And so we still have a ton of work to do in that regard. Um, and yeah, when it comes to the data on incumbents, it's pretty neutral in terms okay. of what it does. Uh, now, I will say what ranked choice voting does do is it allows people to vote their true preference without that worry that they're wasting their vote. So yeah, so if you've got some up-and-comer person that's challenging, they don't have a lot of money, maybe this is their first time running, but you really want to support them, Um, you really want to rank them first, but then you also rank the incumbent second, I mean, you can do that, and that way... Everyone is able to see what their true support was, which I think is great, even if they don't win. So you, you can't see the totals of what the first round of voting was? Absolutely. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really um, when it does have to go to multiple rounds, when you don't get that 50% plus in the first round, uh, it's pretty transparent with how they release the results. I love this. I love it. Let's take a quick break and we'll continue our conversation. We are hanging out with Rebecca Bill. See? <laughs> uh, John, Joseph, John. Hey, John. Yeah, uh, we are hanging out in the studio with Rebecca Williams, who's with Fair Vote Illinois. Uh, we are talking about ranked choice voting. If you have any questions, 773-763-9278. That's the number to call or text us to join the conversation. We also have in studio with us Joseph Reinhardt from Painters District 14. He's a business manager, secretary, treasurer. How close was I? You got it. I wrote it down this time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Representative <laughs> Stephanie Giveaway from the 74th District. 84. Oh, see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was so close. I quit. I quit. No bell for me. You wrote no it bell the, for me. Wrote it the wrong hand. I did. I, I didn't write it down. I was so confident that I remember it. I'm the, the 80s, easiest in one. In the 84th. Yeah. <laughs> we'll a quick break here. We'll continue our conversation. We come back on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal and KTNF Minneapolis-St. Paul. Hi, folks. I'm Kirk Bankstead from the Monaco Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit and lime-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of each can sold goes to reproductive rights groups in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Provisions Uptown Chicago and R&J Wine and Spirits in Glenview, as well as Eastside Cafe, Coffee and Wine Bar in East Dundee, where Kate is serving up smiles and drink responsibly. Responsibly. To driving it home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. We 
are in studio with our friends. We have Representative Stephanie Kipowit of the 84th District, uh, Joseph Reinhardt from Painters District 14. I'm just going to do that now. And uh, Rebecca Williams with Fair Vote Illinois. And uh, let me take one text first. Um, here, This is what one listener says. One listener says, uh, ranked choice voting is not the way to go. We might as well go to electoral college to each state, and each zone has a certain amount of votes. This is an insane thing you're ta- what you're talking about. Not, I, I think that that's a misunderstanding of what the process is. Because it's really just one person, one vote then. Yeah, and I can, to address the whole electoral college thing, um, I, Fair Vote Illinois has no position on that. We don't, we don't do anything with the electoral college. Right. I personally would love to see the electoral college gone. Uh, but that is only addressing our presidential elections. Right. So w- when it comes to ranked choice voting, this is a reform that can really improve the way we vote and improve our representation and campaigning and everything at all levels of government. So it can improve it at our local elections, at our statewide, at for Congress and the presidential, um, there's been a lot of talk about how some of these third-party candidates that are planning, you know, it seems like they're going to be in the race. Jill Stein, yeah. RFK Jr. Um, Perhaps a no-labels person right. um, that are going to be in the race in 2024. They could be... Um, they could be splitting that vote quite a bit. and um, So, for example, yeah. so if, let's say I, I think we should have three parties. I am voting for Jill Stein. But in the event that Jill Stein can't win, there's no shot. But I want people to know that so that it's basically you get to have your protest vote without actually diminishing who's going to be in the White House. Like, yeah. If you I mean, you can still just vote for the one. Right. You know, but a lot of people are going to have a second choice and they can express that. Right. Um, and again, I. I would love to see change with the Electoral College, but this is, but with ranked choice voting, you get to also address all of those other levels of government, which I think could stand to have a lot of change. And for the record, uh, Rebecca in Fair Vote, Illinois, is nonpartisan. So yes. she won't say what I'm going to say is, well, don't vote for Jill Stein. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> don't vote for any of the third party candidates. Uh, the point being, that, like, if you really believed in a, that we have to have another party and you want Jill, you can vote for Jill Stein so we can see those numbers of how many people want another party, but still vote for, for, Joe, for Joe Biden so that we don't lose democracy. I'm just saying, just not for nothing. <laughs> That's not uh, a opinion of Fair Fair vote, Illinois. <laughs> uh, let me get to one of our callers. Uh, Brian in Naperville is joining us. Hey, Brian, you're on the air with Rebecca, Joe, and Representative Stephanie Kifowit. What's on your mind? Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm really glad that you brought up uh, ranked choice voting. Um, I am a huge fan. Um, I believe that right now, especially with our um, two-party system, uh, like you were saying, a lot of good, talented politicians end up going by the wayside uh, because they don't want, oh, you're going to split the vote, oh, you're going to, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So I thank you very much for bringing attention to the issue. Um, I I live in Naperville, like I said, um, and so, you know, I don't know if there's uh, a way that I can get involved in that because I'm, I'm pretty, pretty down with the cause. Um, one last thing I want to say, and I'll take the answer off air. Um, if you can, um, one of the uh, primary challengers, Bill Foster, his name is, uh, I want to say it's uh, Tafsim Rashid. 
uh, he's got some awesome dances, uh, and Bill Foster is horrible, so let's get him out. <laughs> Excellent. So how, how do folks, how, how would Brian get involved with uh, helping advance the cause of ranked choice voting? Yeah, thanks so much for your call, Brian. Uh, so we're definitely getting pretty active in Naperville. Um, and if you just go to Fair Vote Illinois, spell out Illinois.org, uh, you'll see obvious join buttons and everything. Just give us your info. Maybe, maybe check the box that you want to volunteer if you have some time to do that. And we'll definitely be in touch about how you can, how you can help. And what can you tell us about how uh, ranked choice voting is doing in surrounding states? Where are some of the uh, achievements? I think we're making some progress. We are, for sure. Uh, So we have it in... We actually have it in Maine and Alaska so far. And real quick, you mentioned earlier that, like, how did we make it happen in legislative states? We have not had a victory in a legislative state yet. Uh, Both of the states where it has happened have been through uh, ballot initiatives where the citizens get to say, yes, we want ranked choice voting. Uh, We would love to have that in Illinois, but it's not an option here. Okay. Uh, But yeah, and we are, it's looking like a lot more of those are going to happen. But in some of our neighboring states, such as uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, they're they're in a similar place. They have to go through the legislature. But Minnesota in particular has had a lot of wins for cities. Minneapolis is one of the cities that's been using it for a while. And they've they've seen great outcomes from it. And there was a recent win from this um, November Seventh, I don't remember the date. Right. Yeah, it yeah. was the November seventh election. Uh, they had passed it in Minnetonka in 2020. First use was 2021, and then there was a group that came in and tried to do a repeal effort, and uh, they defeated that. So the voters voted 58 percent to keep it. Uh, because what we see with ranked choice voting is that when people use it, they like it. They say it's easy. They want to keep using it. Outstanding. So, thank, I, yeah. I thank you that, so much. That's for the a big point, though, because looking at the state level, uh-huh. we we really work closely with our municipalities. And that's why yeah. I said that people would be looking at Evanston. So Good idea. Uh, yeah. I don't think the state's going to pass anything until we get more municipalities, more local units of government doing it, understanding it. And um, and if and if. Our local municipalities like it, you know, then then the state will will look into it. But I mean, you really need to to get it on the local level and get it established in that manner. And as we wrap up and we're, we're going to continue these conversations about ranked choice voting uh, as often as we can, you're welcome to come back and update us and, yeah. and help share the information. I want to make sure we let folks know about Coffee with Kifowit on Mondays. Where do folks uh, catch up with you and what you're working on? So Coffee with Kifowit, it actually was a live event. And then with COVID, it went to Facebook and then it's, it's just kind of stuck on Facebook. So the it's good on the, Facebook. It is good on yeah. Facebook. You can watch it anytime. Uh, ILDistrict84.com. Uh, is the website, and then IL District on Facebook is where you can find the um, Facebook Lives and the Coffee with Kifowitz. And, and this Monday we had, uh, you know, we're talking small businesses, veteran entrepreneurship. November is entrepreneurial month. So we're and supporting our small businesses. Small business Saturday. Saturday. Yes. You know it. Excellent. Yes. Well, thank you to all my guests. And you can also go to fairvoteillinois.org for more information. We'll talk to Rebecca again. Yes. Uh, Joseph, thank you so much. Representative, thank you so much. Have a great Thanksgiving, everyone.